What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tess. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. You can have it all. A good man, a good job, a good car. You can have it all. But when addiction comes and takes over your life, how fast will you fall? If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Our players this week are Jetty Lucas, a victim, Maddie Harding, a victim, Dorothy Booth, a victim, and Kimberly McCarthy, our murderess. Kimberly LaGale McCarthy was born on May 11th, 1961 in Greenville, Texas to her mother, Trendis Griffin. Now, we don't know much about her childhood other than what came out during the trial, And what we do know is that when she was about 14 years old, she did experience sexual abuse by a family member. But she graduated from high school. She graduated from college despite her circumstances and became an occupational therapist. Fun fact, Mara's mom is an occupational therapist. Now, she was an occupational therapist working in home health. And apparently home health is a lot better because my mom was working at the hospital and then she got into home health and she really liked it a lot better except for the fact that you have to go to people's houses and you never know what you're walking into because some people's houses yeah. aren't meant for company right especially when you're talking about people that can't do for themselves anymore or trying to learn how to do for themselves mm-hmm. which is so crazy because my mom has taught so many people how to drive because now they have to learn how to drive with the handheld thing but her and I learning how to drive together was horrible which is so ironic because I met somebody I'm getting off subject but I met somebody like mm, it had to be about 15 years ago and they ran into my mom and they were like oh my gosh Miss Olivia and she was like oh this is my daughter and they were like your mom changed my life I'm able to walk I can drive I can go back to work so meaningful work in the medical field anyways she was living a life that she seemed to be pretty happy with however I'm not sure how the transition happened, but somebody offered her a hit of crack. And then she hit the crack. And very quickly, she got addicted to the crack. And this became a pretty bad habit. One minute, she's a functioning member of society, and then the next minute, an immediate addiction comes. At first, she was able to hide her addiction. She was able to hold down her job. She was able to find a creative way to fund her habit. Crack is expensive. It's an expensive drug. And eventually, her addiction overcame her normal life. She ended up losing her job. She ended up struggling for money because now she had a full-blown addiction that she had to tend to. 
Now, money became thin, and Kimberly needed to find some ways to fund her drug habit. She had depleted her personal funds, she had depleted her family funds, and it was time for her to look for some other avenues. So, she knew this woman. She was 81 years old. This woman's name was Maggie Harding. And this woman was really close friends with her mama. Like, they were buddies. Maggie, she was born on November 28, 1907, and she was married to a man named Hiram N. Harding. Now, Maggie was at home one day, and I'm sure that she just let Kimberly into her home because friend. And Kimberly attacks. Maggie was stabbed and beaten with a meat tenderizer. And that was in December of 1988. Kimberly technically has never been convicted of these crimes. There's evidence that proves otherwise. There's speculation that proves otherwise. But nothing in the court of law. So technically, it's all allegedly. But that same month, on December 13th, there was also a woman named Jetty Lucas. Now, Jetty Lucas was a distant cousin of Kim's mama. She's 85 years old, born on April 23rd, 1903, and she was physically disabled. Again, Kimberly comes in and beats her and stabs her. She beats her with both sides of a claw hammer, and she's stabbed multiple times. Both of those women, Kimberly robs goes to the pawn shop, gets some money to fuel her addiction. Now, after those murders, this is the time where she was like, okay, I got to figure out other ways to get money. And she starts prostituting. She starts forging checks. She starts stealing whatever she can find, which is very interesting to me because like, how do you start at murder? And then you're like, okay, and now I'll prostitute. You'll start at murder and you're like, okay, now I'll forge some checks. Usually you escalate, but apparently she just started from the top, which is wild to say the least. Now, she was convicted of one of those crimes, not the two murders, not the prostitution, well, she was later, but she was convicted of forgery. She received a two-year sentence for one count of forgery on February 12, 1990, and she was released on parole on June 4, 1990, and she was off parole December 9, 1991. It was very much a slap on the wrist. She also started racking up other charges. Of course, the forgery. She got jammed up a couple times for prostitution and then theft of services as well. So things weren't looking very good. However... Throughout this time, maybe a bout of being clean, she met and married a man named Aaron McCarthy. Aaron McCarthy, he's a singer. Any? He? Isn't he? You and your beautiful, I don't want a pretty face. Uh, oh, okay. Kimberly and Aaron met around 1989. At this time, Aaron was working with his partner, Michael McGee, founding the New Black Panther Party, and he was producing his own radio station. KKDA, 7.30 a.m. in Dallas. Michael McGee used to be seen as the leader within the New Black Panther Party, but he began losing influence in the group, and Aaron emerged as the new leader and gave them the name, the New Black Panther Party. He was very radical and promoted things like the Kiwata Theory, which included things like black unity, collective action, and cooperative economics, which I don't see what's so radical, but... Moving on. They married in 1993, and that same year they had a son, or close to that same year. Soon after the birth of their son, Kimberly began spiraling out of control again. She was still working as an occupational therapist in a nursing home, but at the time she was using crack again, and nothing good ever happens when you smoke crack. The only good part is crack. you're high, and that's about it. Crack is whack, kids. Keep that crack is whack. I make too much money to smoke crack. I don't do crack. Crack is whack. Exactly. I'm too rich to smoke crack. 
I make too much money to smoke crack. Now, of course, Kimberly being addicted to crack, stressful on the fucking marriage, right? Like, and saying he'd have to go to the south side of Dallas tracking her down when she'd be on her drug binges. He looking in drug dealers' houses, looking for her in crack houses. He said, quote, I've spent 12, 13, 14-hour days in the middle of winter or the heat of summer trying to find her. I'd put her in the back seat or the trunk of the car and take her home. He said that Kimberly was a fantastic mom, a fantastic wife, but only when she wasn't using. But she just couldn't let go of her addiction. And Aaron could only deal with so much. So by 1996, the two of them divorced. Um, I'm reading some articles about Aaron, and um, I don't know if he's my favorite person in the world. He is here quoted saying the original Black Panthers are has-been wannabe Panthers. Nobody can tell us what to call ourselves when people were saying, talking about them calling themselves the new Black Panther Party. And it's, it sounds like they're not has-been. <laughs> right. It sounds like you're the wannabe because they're the standard that you're naming yourself after. So why right. would you speak against them? Also, in 2012, he was appointed to a committee I don't even know what the committee was. He was appointed to a committee in Dallas, and they were like, this committee is redundant. He is the head of the committee, and he's not doing anything. And basically, the commissioners were like, there's no point in having you here because you're basically wasting our money, and you're not doing anything for the community. So it sounds thank you for, for the service. most part. He was a lot of bark, but not a lot of bite. Now, Kimberly is divorced. And her husband has primary custody of their son. Now, I wasn't so sure, but it seemed like throughout her bouts of sobriety, she was finding work in the medical field, but I'm not completely sure about that. But with an unsteady income, the stress piles up. And once the stress piles up, she resorted to violence because she needed violence to dr fuel her drug habit. And it's crazy because, like, her husband would describe her as not being a violent person, as being a loving, caring person. But when she was on that rock, she didn't know how to act. And so she needed to find somebody that she could get some money off of. And then she decided to look next door. Her next door neighbor is a woman named Dorothy May Johnson. Now, Dorothy May was born on May 4th, 1926 in Sioux County, Iowa, to her parents, Elizabeth and Lloyd Johnson. She was married in 1951, and she now went by Dorothy Johnson Booth. Now, this little old white woman, we didn't know much about her background, but we do know that she graduated with her PhD in psychology. And she's taught psychology as a professor at El Centro College. And she was there for about 20 years before her retirement. Now, the two were neighbors. They were somewhat good neighbors. Now, people that knew Dr. Booth said that she was a sweet person. She was a person that would never say no, and that was almost to a fault. And Kimberly, being the neighbor that always needed something, really took advantage of the fact that Dr. Booth barely said no. She would ask Dr. Booth to borrow groceries. She would ask Dr. Booth to borrow money. She would ask Dr. Booth to use her car. And even though it was reluctant, Dr. Booth usually said, yeah, go ahead. In the Dallas suburbs of Lancaster, Kimberly calls her neighbor Dorothy. I'm asking she borrow a cup of sugar, regular shit. Of course, Dr. Booth is like, oh yeah, that'll be fine. Just come over and grab it. Kimberly walks over, Dr. Booth opens the door, and Kimberly rushes her and begins to attack her. She stabs Dr. Booth five times with a butcher knife and then continues to beat her with a candelabra. And as if that wasn't enough, she sees this shiny little ring on Dr. Booth's finger and decides she's got to have it. So what does she do? She cuts off her finger to take it. 
Some articles even say that Dr. Booth was still alive when Kimberly cut her finger off. Which I've seen, we've seen this multiple times. Why won't you just twist and take the ring? Why Blood cut the pressure finger? pressure high, finger swollen, and got time for the struggle. Kimberly ends up leaving Dr. Booth dead in the middle of her own house. Grabs her purse and the keys to the bins. Takes it for a little spin. Now Kimberly jobbing around, thinking she got away with murder. So the next day, she gets up and gets dressed for work, but doesn't even go to work. Instead, she goes on a little shopping spree. Her first stop was the pawn shop. Because we got to work with all the cash that we can have. So she goes ahead and pawns off that wedding ring and gets a little $200. Then, with this cash now, because all the other money she had was uh, credit cards and shit. But now she got some cash, pulls up in the bins to her favorite crack house and buys crack with that $200. She then takes the credit cards and goes to a local liquor store and continues to use these credit cards at multiple stores at least four times throughout the day. Now, it didn't take very long for them to track down where Dr. Booth's killer went because it was a bloody and gruesome scene. Dr. Booth had family members that care about her and check on her, and when they found her, they were clearly shocked. And when the police were on the case, they could literally track Dr. Booth's murderer. Oh, they went shopping here. Oh, they went to the liquor store here. Oh, we can follow this person pretty much all around the city. And then when they narrow it down to good old Kimmy, they go to Kimberly's house. And in Kimberly's house, she's got Dr. Booth's used credit cards. She even got Dr. Booth's driver's license on her, which is why. They also find what they believe to be some murder weapons. Come on, let's bag them up. Let's take them in for DNA testing. Oh, easy peasy, because she didn't clean them. Dr. Booth's blood is right here on the weapons. Now, when they very quickly came up on Kimberly, she was just happened to be right next door to Dr. Booth. They charged her with murder. And on July 22nd, 1997, she was questioned by the police. She first is like, I didn't mean to murder her. I was forced to. I'm in the drug game bad, and I owe a lot of people a lot of money. These two guys, they told me that I had to do it. And if I didn't go in there and I didn't ask to borrow a cup of sugar, they were going to murder me. It was either my life or her life, so I didn't know what to do. And they were like, okay, ma'am, who are these two guys? And she's, one is Kilo, and the other one, his name is JC. How did you meet these men? I was in South Dallas. I was trying to buy some drugs. I was just trying to do my thing. I've only been to Dallas once, and best friend, I need us to go because there's this chicken spot down in Dallas called Golden Chicken. Girl, when I went to Dallas, my cousin took me there. I said, oh, y'all eat go this golden chicken pretty good. Sat there, <laughs> ate it in a parking lot. And you can definitely tell, like, when I was in Dallas, there are parts that I'm like, oh, okay, I don't want to be here by myself. Mm -hmm. after dark i think that's everywhere but when you're at a place that's foreign to you like i would be at some places that people wouldn't be in atlanta after dark because i don't know i feel like i know atlanta and right i feel brazen enough when i'm here but when i was in dallas i was like hmm yeah i would not be here alone so home. she's like i was in south dallas i was with kilo and jc and i met them and they told me i owe them money and so they told me that i had to go in there ask her for a cup of sugar and and when i go in there kill her and get her everything that she's got and they were like, oh, really? Is that so? Found out that wasn't true. There is no Kilo. There is no JC. Which I'm sure Kilo and JC is an easy name. You could have found somebody named Kilo. 
What do you think JC stands for? Jesus Christ. Just crack. That's my just crack. <laughs> I needed a kilo of just crack. And so they both told me that I needed to go in there and rob this woman. Either way, they were like, ma'am, no, that ain't it. She was officially indicted on August 18th, 1997 in Dallas County for the capital murder of Dr. Dorothy Booth. She pleaded not guilty and she sat in jail until her trial. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. Brooks Running has a new shoe for you runners out there. Did you hear that? Better turn up your volume. In fact, turn it up to the max. Introducing the all-new Ghost Max. It's got all kinds of things to make your knees and ankles feel protected, like Max Cushion, Max Soft Landings with DNA Loft V2 Foam, and Max Smooth Rides with their Glide Roll Rocker. Feel better on your run with Ghost Max. Learn more at brooksrunning.com. Instacart helps you get beer and wine delivered in as fast as an hour. So, whether you need to fill the cooler for tailgate season or fill your glass for Pinot by the fire season, you can save time by getting fall sips delivered in just a few clicks. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Must be 21 or over for alcohol delivery where available. Instacart. Add life to cart. Streaming October 6th on Paramount+. Plus. First place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land would come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery. Bloodlines. Rated R. Streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Now, the Dallas prison system is not great. And allegedly, while she was sitting there waiting for trial, she was assaulted, she was threatened, and she was taken advantage of by other inmates that were violent. And while she was there, she also violated a lot of prison rules. Not a good look when you're getting ready to go stand in front of the judge. While she was awaiting trial, she told Detective Dwayne Bishop that what she told the two police originally about um, Kilo J.C., wasn't true and she would tell them exactly what happened and they're like okay cool she's like i just need something in exchange and they're like what do you need in exchange for this new testimony she said if you just give me a little crack rock just a little i'll give you everything you need to know ma'am you are in jail just just we're not bringing crack rock into the jail why did you think that we were doing that you must not want this information (laughs) right she was like, no, what you don't understand is that Kilo and JC, they were abusive. They were verbally and physically abusive. And I can tell you all of this. I just need an itty bitty crack rock. Just an itty bitty rock. Just hold me over. No, I cannot bring you crack into jail. So the trial starts November 11th, 1998. And Judge Webber Bard presided over the trial. The Dallas County ADA George West tried the case with the help of ADA Gina Clark. Defense attorney Doug Parks represented Kimberly with the help of Brad Lawler. The jury consisted of 11 men and one woman, and it is said that only one of the jurors were black. The rest were white. Oh, my. Yeah. I wouldn't feel confident going into there, but okay. 
Definitely not. In the first phase of the trial, prosecutors tried to establish a motive. According to the prosecutors, Kimberly and Kimberly alone went to Dr. Booth's house with the intention of robbing and killing her. Kimberly lied when she called her on the phone asking for sugar. They said that the struggle began when Dr. Booth refused to give up her items. And Kimberly was like, you don't want to give it up? I'll take it. There's the easy way and there's the hard way. Now, there was no evidence that Kim was at the scene, but they did find rubber gloves, and they found the knife that they believed to be the murder weapon inside of Kim's house, which is just across the alley from Dr. Brooks' house. Now, the defense is claiming that their client is innocent. There's no evidence of her being there. No hair, no blood, no fingerprints. And like Kim said, it was two drug dealers who made her call Dr. Boop and ask for the sugar. She was intimidated. What was she supposed to do? Spare herself to save Dr. Boop? The defense says when Kilo and JC got inside, they attacked her. And Kimberly just waited in Dr. Boop's car because that now became the getaway car. Greg Davis questioned how she wore her hair that day to prevent strands of hair from falling out. And the trick is to have a braided bun, okay? The cornrows was tight, the hair was up and pent, and there was none falling around at the crime scene. You're welcome. Sergeant Patrick Stalling testified that this particular hairstyle could prevent hair from falling out, which is why they didn't find any. At the time of the attack... Black women are magical, okay? Okay. They, black women, they just do these things with their hair, and then the things that they do with their hair prevent them from leaving evidence at the crime scene, okay? What you have to understand is how the Negroes work. Now, Kim was 36 when she attacked Dr. Booth, who was 71 years old at the time of the murder. The evidence showed that Dr. Booth fought through several rooms of her house but before ending up on the floor of her dining room where she eventually died. Again, no one can give an explanation as to why Kim's blood wasn't found inside the home because all the blood that they did find belonged to Dr. Booth. But the defense case was weak and on November 17th of 1998, a jury convicted Kimberly for the capital murder of Dr. Dorothy Booth. Because she was found guilty at this trial, now during the punishment phase, they can bring up evidence from the 1988 murders. Remember, they couldn't bring it up during trial because it's hearsay, they're circumstantial, we don't have any hard evidence. During the punishment phase, the ADA also brings up the two other women that Kimberly is accused of killing but was never tried for. And it looks like they were trying to, of course, bring up these cases to make their reasoning for the death penalty stronger. We're in Texas, baby. The death penalty is definitely a thing. They presented evidence that Jetty Lucas was beaten with that claw hammer and stabbed with a knife in her face, particularly in her eyes. She was attacked so brutally that her ear was torn off, that her skull was fractured, and there was a lot of bleeding in her brain. The contents of her purse and her wallet also went missing. Now, Maggie Harding, she was stabbed in the face, the chest, and the abdomen. One of those wounds actually pierced her heart and she was bludgeoned with a metal meat tenderizer. Maggie's purse was Ugh. also missing from her home. Which also, you're just taking her purse. Little old ladies don't keep all their money in their purse. Mm -mm. You got you. Little old ladies keep their money <laughs> you got in the dresser drawer, with the socks. underneath the mattress, mm -hmm. in a shoebox. Come on now, girl. She wasn't even thinking clearly. Now, the two women, they died 
in the same month within days of each other. And what made this worse is that both of these women, like we said earlier, were friends of Kimberly's mom, even distant cousins of Kimberly's mom. The ADA says that there is no doubt that Kimberly McCarthy deserves to die. And they said that she was a knife-wielding, crack-smoking, hammer-hitting killer of three women, your honor. Now, Detective Bishop, of course, testifies for the prosecution that Kim tried to negotiate him bringing in crack to the jail in exchange for the truth of what happened. He said, quote, if she was going to get the death penalty, if she could get a rock of crack, she would tell the truth. But she wanted to get one rock of crack before she died. If you're going to sentence me to death, let me have a little cracky crack. During the penalty phase, they also called up psychiatrist Dr. J. Douglas Crowder from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. And he testified that Kim is likely to be affected by those past incidents. There wasn't much that was talked about during the trial about her childhood. But we do know that at some point she was sexually abused by a family member when she was young. And although she seemed to lead a normal life throughout her high school and her early adult years, because of the trauma that happened to her as a child, she then became addicted to crack and it was a way to soothe that internal trauma that she never really got to address. They said that if these things didn't happen to her as a child, there's a chance that she would have never been violent. There's a chance that she would have never turned to drugs and this would have never happened. Now, they also testified that Kimberly was a sweet person. She was an occupational therapist. She loved people. She loved the community around her. She loved her friends. She loved her family. She loved her husband. She loved her children. But when she was on that rock, she was a completely different person. She was no longer the good mom that they knew her to be. She was no longer the homemaker that she loved to be. She was no longer the healthy wife. She was a different person using the same body. Because of that, they said she has a chance to be a normal person now that she's in the prison walls, now that she will be sober, and maybe she has a chance to lead a normal life. So is the death penalty the answer? No, the defense says. They say just give her life in prison and at least give her a chance. Kimberly's mother also testified on her behalf, saying that she could not believe her daughter was responsible for such an awful thing. She said, quote, I remember once she was in college, she had an assignment to dissect a cat. She couldn't do it. And now, she's, and now y'all telling me she done beat this lady ear off and this one with a meat tenderizer. That's much more vicious than dissecting a cat, which really goes to show she's a completely different person when she's on crack. Kimberly's attorney said that her life should be spared with a life sentence and that she would pose, quote, little threat to the free world population or to the inmate prison population. She went on to say that when she was not under the influence of drugs, she was a good mother and a kind person. I said, quote, if you take away the crack cocaine, she's the person her family knew. Her lawyer also said that if she was given a death penalty, it's purely because of high emotions and not because the law requires it. The jury started deliberating in November of 1998 on whether or not she should get life or death by lethal injection. And on November 24th of 1998, they sentenced her to death. Kimberly sat on death row for four years before she filed an appeal on December 12th of 2021, which was accepted 
and her capital murder conviction got reversed, and she was granted a new trial in 2002. Please don't mistake this for her getting out of jail, because she still sat there. Correct. She appealed on the basis that a statement taken by a detective violated her constitutional right. Apparently, she asked for a new lawyer, and before she was given one, they still took her confession. And let's be real about it, right? If they took her confession, they arrested her, like, the day after the murder. They, they found her quick. She was quickly arrested. She's probably fucking high. High or coming down and through withdrawals and saying whatever she got to say. Definitely should have a lawyer there. Definitely shouldn't be accepted because she's not in a correct state of mind. You know what I mean? Right. In this new trial, DNA samples from all three murders were reanalyzed using a newer genetic testing method. And it confirmed what we've already suspected. She was there in some capacity for Dr. Boo's murder. She was there for the murder of Jetty Lucas. And she was there for the murder of Maggie Harding. So during this time, she's filling out some writs of certiorari, which basically means she's requesting that the Supreme Court order the lower court to send up the records and review the case. Uh, On June 28th of 2002, the Supreme Court denied the petition. On October, they had the retrial for this case, and the Dallas County jury found Kimberly, once again, guilty of capital murder. On November 1st of 2002, it took less than three hours for the jury to decide that she, again, would get the death penalty. Her initial execution was set for January 29th, 2013. Now, she did try again to appeal her death sentence conviction. Now, on May 9th, 2011, she had some new lawyers. This new lawyer's name was Marvin Levin, and they found a habeas corpus relief on the following nine grounds. Number one, they said that the trial counsel was ineffective for waiving Texas evidence rules, basically because the witness, which was the victim's daughter, they let her stay in and watch the entire trial. Number two, they said that the trial counsel was ineffective and they failed to offer Kimberly's written statement in the punishment stage of her trial. Like, how you not going to let me speak? Number three, they said that the death penalty procedure violated due process by failing to require the state to disprove mitigating circumstances beyond a reasonable doubt. Number four, they said that that the Texas death penalty procedures violate due process because the use of the term probably undermines the requirement that the state prove dangerous beyond what plus a reasonable doubt. How you gonna say probably? You can't say no probably at my trial. Right. Almost doesn't count. Everybody knows Almost doesn't count. Almost committed a murder. Almost went to jail. Almost made you bleed out, baby. Didn't I? Didn't I? Number five, the trial counsel was ineffective for failing to object to the trial court's charge on future dangerousness, which has been told like she's not a dangerous person. It's just the sobriety that she needs. Number six, they said that the trial court violated McCarthy's due process rights by failing to grant her motion to set aside the indictment because it did not allege lack of mitigation and future dangerousness as element of the offense. Almost the same thing, a little bit different. 
Number seven, the Texas death penalty procedures are unconstitutional because prosecutors are allowed, quote, unfeathered discretion to seek the death penalty. Hmm. Number eight, the appealant counsel was ineffective for failing to raise certain record issues. Hmm. And number nine, it just says cumulative error. He was just all wrong. Her execution was still set for January 29th, 2013. Hours before she was about to go walk the mile, she was granted a stay of execution, which is, at this point, you fucking with me, right? I'm like, today is the day. Today is the day I'm going to be sent to glory. And then, boom, an hour before you go, okay, I guess I'm staying. And her execution was moved from that January date of 2013 and shifted to April 3rd, 2013. Then April came, April went, and she was pushed to June 26, 2013. On June 19th, Kimberly was like, okay, let me file another habeas corpus. And this one was dismissed about a week after she filed it. On June 25th, she filed a suggestion for reconsideration, and that suggestion was denied as well. In the days leading up to Kimberly's execution, she was placed on death watch. The prison officials had to record her activities starting at 12.01 a.m. on Monday, and the notes say that she was sleeping, reading, and eating a peach, grooming herself after a shower, packing her property, laying in her bed doing puzzles. This is how she spent her last days. On that Wednesday of June 26, 2013, her execution date, she was given a new white prison uniform and was offered for her last meal the same food that everybody else fucking ate. Pepper steak, mashed potatoes with gravy, mixed veggies, and a white cake with chocolate icing. And it sounds good, but then it's prison food, so it's a good... It's good. I doubt uh, it. I doubt right. it's good. Now, but sometimes I think if it's your last meal, they'll go outside of the prison and bring you some food. Because like you can no, suggest, you can say it. I want some KFC. No, Texas. Oh, okay. Texas was like, we don't care what you want your last meal to be. You're going to eat the rest of this food. Good old Texas. Now they said usually when they put somebody to death, they might have about ten people outside protesting, but Kimberly was Texas five hundred person to be uh executed so there were like a good 50 people out there protesting for this not to happen yeah it was their 500th and then the first one in a while in like a good 10 years she was the 51st inmate from dallas county to be executed since 1982 it wasn't just protesters in the crowd there were also people cheering it on for lack of better words i guess being opposition out there dorothy's family was there including her daughter her granddaughter her godson kimberly's ex-husband was there and on that evening they took her up to the execution room and they injected her with the lethal injection She looked towards the window of the room that her supporters were in. Her ex-husband was in there, and she thanked them. She looked through the window where Dr. Booth's daughter was and granddaughter was, but she didn't speak to them. She didn't address them. She said, this is not a loss. This is a win. You know where I'm going. 
to hell. She said, I'm going home to be with Jesus. She smiled. That's and then, all right. That's all right. That's all right. Oh, that's all right. I'm going home to live with Jesus. That's all right. Amen. Kimberly smiled and then began to snore. Her chest moved up and down rapidly. She lost consciousness. Dr. Book's family nodded in approval. And at 6.37 p.m., 20 minutes after she was given her injection, she was pronounced dead. Dr. Booth's godson, Randy Browning, said thank you as he looked over at Greg Davis, the man who prosecuted Kimberly. Dr. Booth's granddaughter, Leslie Lambert, cried through the window, clutching paper towels. A doctor checked Kimberly's vitals, found nothing to say that she was still alive, and pulled a white sheet over her head. At that time, the chaplain removed his right hand from Kimberly's left leg and held a small copy of the New Testament in his left hand. After this was all over, Dr. Booth's daughter, Donna Aldred, read a statement thanking the prosecutors and investigators for their efforts. She said, quote, My mother, Dorothy Booth, was an incredible woman who was taken before her time. After waning for nearly 16 years, the finality of today's events have allowed me to completely say goodbye to my mother. Outside the prison, there were people taking statements about how everybody felt about it. Jason Clark, who was a spokesperson for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, said this was just another execution and we simply carried out the court's order. Kimberly's attorney said 500 is 500 too many. I look forward to the day where we recognize that this pointless and barbaric practice imposed almost exclusively on those who are poor and disproportionately on people of color has no place in a civilized society. Outside, they were protesting and chanting, death penalty is racist and anti-poor. Stop all executions now. Stop killing to stop killings. And as she was being executed, they all sang, wade in the water. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water. God's God's gonna gonna trouble trouble the water. I think I appreciate the fact that her lawyer called out that the death penalty is racist and anti-poor. Because I think that's something that we highlight here a lot is that you can't get good counsel due to systemic racism, sometimes blatant racism, but definitely systemic racism, like you being with the jury of 11 white men and one white woman as you're prosecuted for the death of a white woman. Right. Anti-poor, completely agree, because... You can't afford the resources that you need. I think considering if we really take it and say, okay, addiction is a disease, we recognize that fact, right? Then shouldn't, Mm -hmm. like not saying that she should have got away with it, but I don't understand that how that doesn't have any factor into the leniency that they do, whether it's in sentencing or whatever. You know what I mean? Just Especially when it's been told that she is a nonviolent person Mm -hmm. when she is sober. Right, like, they're like, this doesn't make sense. Unless, like, you'd be like, oh, Kimberly did this. Must have been on crack. 
Because she was. She was all great. She was. Like... And then it's a cycle because you're addicted and addiction takes all of your money and then you have no money and then what do you and then you're desperate for money. You will do almost anything when you're not in the right state of mind. I would do almost anything for money if I was broke and sober. Like right. I have been sober and needed money and have done a lot of things to get that money. Because right. it feels like you got to do what you got to do. And so now on top of being desperate and broke, you have this disease that's taken over your brain, not allowing you to make rational thoughts because all it knows is it wants crack. You know what I'm saying? So to sit there and just, I'm not saying she doesn't deserve to be punished. I'm just saying, I don't know if she should have been sentenced to death. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely think that she should have got life in prison. It was not a good look, though. Hold on, wait. Y'all, clearly it's already time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I, I didn't do it, but if I did, clearly trying to negotiate a quote-unquote truthful confession in exchange for crack, I feel like that goes to show just like your state how of mind. your state of mind. There's no way. I feel like if I was in jail, I would have negotiated a happy meal. Go get me some Popeyes. Go get me some of that golden chicken that that they got in Dallas. Don't negotiate crack. I ain't do it, but if I did, I'm ditching the credit cards. Like, maybe you use them at one store, but to carry them around with you, we're for damn sure ditching the ID. I don't know where these credit cards came from. Yeah, and some credit cards you can get a cash advance from the ATM. So I would have just got it. Little old ladies, they be writing stuff down. You just had they to find do. her address book. They do. They just had to find her address book, and she would have had everything for you. Yeah, I would have got a cash advance and not used the credit cards and disguised myself when I went up to the ATM. I ain't do it, but if I did, I would have switched up my pawn shops. Gone to a pawn shop really far out of town. Very far out of town. Way So that... It would have been a chance of it not being traced back to me. And speaking of a pawn shop, I would have had a very realistic fake ID with a different name. So if it got traced to that pawn shop, it would not have been traced back to me. I ain't do it, but if I did, we taking a biz to a crack house? And then I feel like I heard one article where they didn't have what she wanted there. So she let the dealer drive the bins over to pick up some for somebody else. I think of what? Everybody calm down. You really could have found a low-down nigga who would have took that shit for parts and could have really had some mm-hmm. cash on your hand. Exactly. Exactly. I ain't do it, but if I did, I would not have kept the murder weapon. Get rid and of that thing. if we did, at least clean it, girl. But that's the thing. We've seen clean weapons still have DNA on it because if it's a knife, there's it that down bottom part of the knife. Right. And they're going to take the knife apart. Texas is a big place, girl. They hide weapons all the time. You could have left it at the crack house. Then we would have had a story. Now then it would have been a whodunit. It must have been Kilo and JC in there, boy. They must have dropped it off. That's that's what the drug dealers do. That would have been good, actually. Oh, child. I ain't do it, but if I did, 
you know, when you know that you're addicted and you're in the medical field, I'm sure that she knew the resources that were available to her. Like a lot of people were like, oh, they don't even know that the resources are available. But because of the field that she's in, I know that you at least know of the resources. And I guess you have to also want to take That's advantage of the you resources. You have to want to be sober. And a lot of people don't want to be sober. Especially because Um, if you're using crack or whatever, drugs, alcohol, whatever, to numb the pain that you're feeling in your everyday life, like, why be sad when I can be high? You know what I mean? Always constantly trying to chase a high. Yes, trying to chase a high. But, like, she had moments where she was sober. And then... She was abused as a child. Who knows what thoughts were creeping on her that she just wanted to escape. And instead of seeking therapy or a rehabilitation center, she sought out drugs and escaped. Right. I ain't do it, but if I did, how are you going how are you going to rob and murder the woman that you know is always going to say yes to you? Yes, you can have some groceries. Yes, you can borrow some money. Yes, you can drive my car. Guess what? Now the answer is yes no because I'm dead. Yes, you dating me. Yes, we can be together, but you got away from me the first time I said no. It's like I never, it's like said, I never said yes. Coming out of her a pot of sugar for a cup of sugar. You can't trust your neighbors. I don't know what the heck they got going on. And you have to, let me tell you something. You really have to figure out what you're going to do with your neighbors. Like for me, for instance, I live kind of in the hood. And there are a lot of men that live near me. Two of them niggas down there, they got teardrops on their eyes. I made sure to be, hey, how y'all doing? I don't, you don't ignore people. And it's weird that you have to be in survival mode of your neighbors because you don't know. So I've. Our sisters who kill roller papers gave them a pack. They said, oh, sisters who kill. And I was like, yeah, I do yeah, true crime. I have to. I be having to flex that I do a true crime podcast because y'all got teardrops on your eyes. I say, yeah, I talk about true crime and murders committed by black women. And they was like, oh, you ever committed a murder? That's and then I say. Know. And you do not. No, all I say is I can't answer that question. But what I do know is that I know how to get away with one. <laughs> and it was, oh, but then you got to get cool with your neighbors to make sure they don't rob your car. I got a Kia, shit. Y'all keep an eye out, goddamn. He's so funny. Without crossing that boundary with them. Right. Even with my neighbors, I'll talk to them, but I'm not hitting their blunt. We still not cool enough. But I need y'all to know that I'm here. I need y'all to know that I'm armed and dangerous. And I need y'all to know which don't vehicle is mine. <laughs> right. And sometimes you have to do that. Like, you can't be nice to people anymore. You can't be kind to people anymore because they will take advantage of you. I even have a neighbor that's a woman. And I don't, her and I say hi and bye, but we're not that close because I don't know you like that. I know that you in survival mode to make sure that you and baby girl are good. I need to make sure that I'm not a victim of your survival mode, whatever it may be. And it may be nothing, but I got to be on high alert. And then friends of the family, your mama's friends, girl. <laughs> All righty, parole or no parole? I would have taken a death penalty off the table and just gave her life. I think there were a lot of factors that contributed to it, her crack addiction being one of them. And I don't think we can downplay it like, oh, she should have just quit crack. Addiction is a disease. She hurt her family. 
she hurt herself in the process. She hurt everybody because she she's not in a proper state of mind. She couldn't stay clean, and she succumbed to the illness. And from everything that we've heard, she's only violent like this on crack. So I feel like that holds a certain weight when trying to decide this. Because what we do know is you're probably not going to have no crack in prison. And so we probably don't have to deal with these violent episodes from you in prison. So just stay there. Rock out for the rest of your life in there. Yeah. I agree. Life without the possibility. And I'll give somebody the death penalty. But I do think that the addiction definitely got the best of her. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't function. And the addiction made her desperate. And desperate became dysfunction. And it wasn't good at all. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's read some reviews. If you want to leave us a review, you can. Anywhere, wherever you're listening, go give us a five-star review. If you're able to give a written review, you can. If you like the podcast, please do. If you don't like the podcast, don't worry about it. Just You can turn it off right now. Don't leave us a review. (laughs) Don't do nothing. Because like we said, we know how to get away with it. If you do have complaints and grievances, why don't you just email us, sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll talk there. Or put it in the discussion group. Y'all don't have to love us in the discussion group. Just don't be nasty. Okay. This is from Heather. Heather says, hello, I just want to let you know that I love your show. I usually listen on Apple Music to make my Sundays go by faster. I don't know what made me download the podcast app. I always tell people podcasts are not for me. Anyways, it just so happens that your podcast was the first that I ever listened to. And now I'm working my way from the beginning to the end. I don't have an Instagram. I couldn't find y'all on Twitter. X, it's Sisters Who Kill, just FYI. And I'm glad I did at least find y'all on Facebook. Just know that I'm listening way from Hawaii. Uh, And I tell everybody that I listen to your show. Thanks. Aloha. Miss Heather. This one says, love this podcast. I just started to listen to this podcast today at work. And let me tell you something. I'm going to hell. (laughs) She said, because true crime ain't supposed to be funny. But the way you ladies tell these stories, I have to laugh. I be thinking the same thing. I love how real you both are and the reactions. Definitely going to keep listening. Oh, and glad these episodes are an hour or so long. Got a fan forever. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes it's just you. laughing so at the much. audacity. Right. Like the gall that you had. All right, y'all. That's the end of the show. So sorry, but all good things come to an end. But no worries. We'll be back next Friday. If you want to keep no up with sooner. us in the meantime. Huh? No sooner. Oh, I thought you said maybe sooner. I was going to say, no, we not. (laughs) If you want to keep up with us, you absolutely can. There are plenty of ways to do so. You can follow us on Twitter. X, I guess it's called. Sisters Who Kill. You can follow us on Instagram, Sisters Who Kill Pod. On TikTok, Sisters Who Kill Podcast. And on Facebook. There's a public Facebook page. It's called Sisters Who Kill, and there's a private discussion group that you can get in. It's fun for all. You must answer the questions to get in, and you must be kind and act like you got some home training. Anything else, friend? Talk to us. We talk back. Bye. Bye.